0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: When you look at the reason that people are choosing electric vehicles, it's because they want to do something better for the environment. They want to reduce their carbon footprint. The argument we've been making is you can do that with ethanol.
0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the last News Daily Podcast of the week this week, November 23rd, and also sponsored today, this morning, Tanner, by Mystic Lubes. For a full look at their top quality products, visit Mystic Lubes, that's M-Y-S-T-I-K, lubes.com. Tanner, what is your favorite Thanksgiving food this week that you're looking forward to?
2: Gravy. <laughs> I uh, I love gravy, whether it's over the turkey or the ham or the mashed potatoes or the stuffing. I pretty much end up with a plate, even the green bean casserole. Mm-hmm. I pretty much end up with a plate full of food, and then everything gets covered in gravy.
0: I've noticed, Tanner, that most of the time when I ask people this question, nobody really says the turkey.
2: You know, that's <laughs> quite quite interesting, and I I think probably a lot of the need for gravy is when the potluck dinners show up, not everybody makes great dishes. Usually good food, but not great dishes. So the gravy just helps make it all better. It's hard to make a turkey really well and keep it moist, Delaney.
0: I know that's true. And then you see the ones where they deep fat fry them and they light stuff on fire. So (laughs) not sure that's a better alternative, but they usually are better turkeys when they're deep fat fried and they have that nice crispy outside layer.
2: What about you? What's your favorite?
0: I'd have to say either mashed potatoes or pumpkin pie.
2: Ooh, you want with the dessert. That's a good one too. I typically our family also includes a French silk pie.
0: Uh, Ooh, I could. That's that's speaking to me. I could get on that level. <laughs>
2: that's pretty good. Yes, listeners, let us know what your favorite Thanksgiving food is. So we have some entertainment here over the next couple of days before we return on Monday. Hopefully, you in the Texas Panhandle don't get. The heavy snow that's forecasted for you on Thanksgiving Day all the way through Friday, Black Friday, potentially delaying four inches of snow and winds gusting up to 35 miles an hour in a part of the nation that isn't set to handle that kind of snow. Travel could be difficult. Visibility could fall below half a mile at times and won't make things great. Central Kansas may see a little bit of that snow. As well as it pushes further into the weekend. It looks like our forecast here in Iowa looks clear.
0: That should be fairly nice. Although I got to admit, I'm heading out to Thanksgiving on Friday. So I'm not going to be too, com- too, uh, too upset about any weather that happens here in Iowa. We'll be in Florida. So no
2: complaints. Oh, you poor thing. I know. I know. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. I do have a quick little hit headline here? Bungie states that they are buying 49% stake in a French grain company. The French family that currently owns it will retain the 51% ownership. That partnership is to strengthen their operational and commercial cooperation in that area of France and Western Europe. They are based in Normandy, France, Purchase grain, oil seeds, and pulse crops to be shipped at port. So this is their global reach goal. They're looking to continue to build a natural evolution in their relationships between other companies. So a little news there, not a lot of details yet. Nothing financially has been reported, but we do know that they will have 49% ownership stake in that France elevator.
0: Well, Tanner, and some other international news here. It's interesting. I've tried to search this headline to see if other outlets are reporting it, but so far just two outlets have reported this, AgWeb and The Wall Street Journal reported that prior to the G12 summit, a few Chinese leaders headed to the US. Uh, it was senior delegation that met with executives in New York a few weeks ago, but it's odd. Nobody is really reporting on this story, Tanner. They are, they are saying though that this is the first time that a high-level group has come to the United States to meet since the pandemic started. And this should go a long way in continuing to rebuild the relationship between the U.S. and China. They're saying Chinese officials began meeting with the counterparts from the U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, and he met with his Chinese counterpart, Wang Fenghe for the first time in months. But like I said, Not a lot of outlets are reporting this, Tanner. And I don't know if it's because China's keeping a hush-hush on it as they are heading back into some fresh COVID lockdowns. They reported about 28,000 new domestic COVID cases on Monday, which is nearing their daily peak that they saw back in April, mostly happening in the southern and southern southwestern regions of the country. So... Not sure what to make of it or why other outlets are not reporting on this. If they've tried to keep this thing hush-hush or what's going on behind the scenes that we're just not aware of right now.
2: Yeah, I was trying to read between the lines on that as well. Obviously, the lockdowns are going to continue to push China's economy backwards or at least provide some stress. You know, that's a large portion of their country that is now dealing with with restrictions, whether that's related to travel. I know a lot of economists are cutting oil usage, uh kind of a lot of the economic factors that drive a successful economy. And uh potentially that could be a meeting that was held to make sure those numbers stay firm. It uh it is strange though that you don't see a lot of headlines discussing that meeting.
0: Absolutely. You surely don't right now. But Tanner, do you mind indulging me for a second? I've got a few more turkey facts for you today.
2: Go right ahead.
0: Okay, great. Um this is a strange one. I didn't realize this. Turkeys apparently sleep in trees. Tanner, did you know this?
2: Uh, uh, in the wild? I, yeah. No, I did not wild. know that.
0: Turkeys in the wild love to sleep in trees, especially or particularly oak trees, which I found very bizarre. Um, but wild turkeys can make 30 different calls. So if you're going to hunt your turkey dinner this Thanksgiving, you might need to brush up on those different calls that you plan on make making. And this year, Tanner estimated to be about forty-five million turkeys consumed for Thanksgiving.
2: I did know that statistic. That last okay. one, it it uh, it is a astonishing number of turkeys that will be consumed. And you can't forget the people that buy their turkey too late and forget how long it takes to thaw out a frozen turkey, which is why you see a lot of those accidents happen for those frying of the birds. Let's pause here real quick for a message from our sponsor today.
3: Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K loops.com.
2: Well, Delaney, the lame duck season for Congress, not the lame turkey, just the lame duck session is upon us right now. This is the period in which not a lot gets done. However... Agriculture, biofuels, and petroleum interests have joined forces this week trying to get lawmakers to fix fix, and pass legislative for year-round E15 usage. The groups want equal regulatory treatment for all gasoline blends containing 10% ethanol or more, including 15% ethanol. The letter was sent to the Senate and the House leaders and their chairs, key congressional committees, stating that they had the backing of not only ethanol and farm lobbyists, but also from the American Petroleum Institute. By ensuring this uniformity across the nation's fuel supply chain, federal legislation will provide more flexibility and result in a more consistent outcome state by state. Of course, Delaney, they are looking to push this through to help curb rising fuel prices. Governors in nine states are also awaiting a response from the EPA on their petitions to allow year-round sales of E15. Of course, that's Iowa here, Illinois, Kansas, Minnesota, Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and Ohio, obviously a large portion of the ethanol producing states within our nation. E15 has been hamstrung by a technicality known as the Reed Vapor Pressure, or RVP. Nine states have asked for the removal of the one pound per square inch PSI waiver on the E10 blend. So it looks like there's a lot of push to try and get something actually done during this period in which Congress historically hasn't done a lot.
0: Yeah, and that's a really timely conversation or really timely article, Tanner, because we're talking today or I had the time to talk with Jeff Cooper from the Renewable Fuels Association at the NAFB convention last week. And we touched on this very subject. So do stay tuned listeners for that conversation coming up here in just a little while with Jeff. But Tanner, the White House on Monday made some very clear comments on how they feel about the looming potential railroad shutdown. They said it's, quote, unacceptable. And President Biden declared this to other agricultural group and lobbyists who have continued to ask Congress to step in. As we know, four of the major union groups voted against the deal. And now we have to see them try to come to some sort of ratification On or before December 5th so that we do not see a shutdown happen, Tanner.
2: Yeah, it will be interesting to see, like we talked yesterday about what kind of moves are made, either coming out of the unions themselves or coming out of the White House. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how things get shaped up here because we don't want to see a shutdown. I don't think anybody wants to see a strike, especially going into a holiday season. It'd be nice to just get this resolved. Mm -hmm. Well, The last couple of quick hitters I have is an article kind of summarizing in the agricultural equipment world, specifically tractor lines. The Innovation Awards, it's almost award season. I know, Delaney, there's a lot of TV and music awards that come out with red carpets. We can't forget about the ag industry also touting their awards. The CES Innovation Awards, which uh, are announced ahead of their January show in Las Vegas, had awarded John Deere the innovation, Best of Innovation Honoree for Robotics in the category of Vehicle Technology and Advanced Mobility for its autonomous tractor, its fully autonomous tractor. Uh, two European awards for SEMA in Paris, France, uh, and Italy have stated that Case IH, or uh, for equipment there, in the advancements for models available from case international the quad track also won awards for farm machine 2023 and the sema award for its afs tractor connect technology for the xxl tractor category it seems like as you go through the list delaney about every manufacturer got something of an award there's not a complete sweep new holland's 120 horsepower received Best Specialized Tractor, Massey Ferguson, a brand of Agco, had its uh, 5S series, was a winner at the SEMA Award Show. The Fent 7000 Vario Gen 7, so there's five tractors in that model. Makeup also received an Innovation Award, Case, their Puma Fast Transmission, (coughs) pardon me, Case Puma Fast Transmission reward also received uh, at SEMA. So it looks like across the industry for the leading tractor manufacturers, everybody got something and everybody's pushing the envelope just a little bit more. So it'll be interesting when we go to trade shows this winter season to get to see some of this technology firsthand. You got to throw in Raven, who we've worked with mm-hmm. on this podcast on autonomy, won multiple awards that don't fit necessarily the tractor category but got a lot of special mentions.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting, Tanner. And probably would have been a better announcement to make yesterday on the Tech Tuesday episode, but sounds like there's a lot of good companies there that might be worth having on a future Tech Tuesday episode. But I tell you what, I've got just one headline left to report on here. And this is some aftermath from the Brazilian election. As we know, President Lula will step back into office after being out for a while, kicking Bolsonaro out of the seat. But many of Bolsonaro's supporters are very upset, Tanner. So much so that blockades have been created by Bolsonaro supporters who are continuing to protest the results of the latest presidential election. One blockade is on the BR-277 road in Paraná, and it is blocking traffic from getting to the Parangua. Port, which is a very major grain export port, Tanner. This has resulted in a long line of trucks and other vehicles over 13 kilometers long, which I think, Tanner, would be uh, about nine, 10 miles long. If I, if I'm doing the math correctly. Uh, So very long, fairly long line of trucks sitting waiting to figure out if they're going to be able to get through. The blockade was removed. Um, by police, and trucks are flowing once again. But that's pretty much been the story to this point. There have been frequent blockades, Tanner. Uh, Mato Grosso had over 18 different blockades. 13 were partial and five were complete. So police, police are trying to move as rapidly and diligently as they can to remove these blockades before they become a large problem. But it certainly appears that they are targeting ports specifically with these blockades.
2: Thanks. Right. That's a pretty big impact there as far as the election results have now created further issues for them to manage down there as well. Let's pause here for one more message from our sponsor today before we get into market.
3: Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's mystik Loops.com.
2: Well, is it going to be a quiet day, Delaney? How do things look like they're going to open up?
0: Well, Tanner... It's always interesting to see how the markets trade ahead of a holiday shortened week. Looking pretty quiet this morning in the corn markets, we're going to open a penny higher at 6.57 and three-quarters. January soybeans are going to open four pennies lower at 1425. And hard red December wheat is going to open five pennies lower at 920. Livestock yesterday, Tanner finished on fairly mixed notes here as the December live cattle contract added 25 cents at a buck 53.80. January feeders ended 95 cents lower on the day and will open this morning at a buck 81.67 and December lean hogs will open at 84.25. Tanner without further ado let's kick it over to my conversation with Jeff Cooper. Catching up today with Jeff Cooper, the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, we have a very important looming deadline here, November 30th. What's your anticipation of what we see happening with the Renewable Fuels Standard upon that date?
1: Yeah, we are anxiously awaiting, along with everybody else, the publication of EPA's proposed volumes for the RFS requirements for 2023. But we're also being told it will include the proposed volumes for 2024, And potentially 2025. And this would be the first time ever that EPA has proposed volumes for multiple years all at the same time. And and we think there's a benefit to that. We think uh, having a few years of standards proposed should provide a little more certainty and a little more stability and and predictability for the marketplace. So we're excited about that. But in terms of what we're looking for uh, as far as the volumes go, we're expecting and, and hoping for uh, strong volumes for all categories of renewable fuel. The conventional renewable fuel requirement, uh, the last few years has been 15 billion gallons. That's what Congress specified in the law when they wrote it in 2007. We're hopeful to see at least that level, uh, in 2023 and beyond. And, and we've been making the case that EPA should increase that volume to beyond 15 billion gallons. Uh, and so that's, that's what we're expecting to see and, and anxiously awaiting that proposal on November 30th and we'll certainly sink our teeth into it. It will just be a proposal at that point. We'll have a chance to provide comment and our input to EPA and then they'll finalize those volumes sometime probably early in the summer of 2023.
0: I'm a little surprised. It's, it sounds positive that they're looking to do it and lock it in for multiple years, but I'm shocked a little bit that they've had the foresight to think through that. Did they share any of their background about why they've decided to make that move?
1: Well, this is really the first time that EPA has had more discretion to propose these volumes. Uh, up until 2022, Congress has specified what the volumes ought to be and really the annual process for uh, for enforcing those volumes. So beginning in 2023, the law gives EPA more discretion and flexibility uh, to implement the program and and one of the things they've been hearing from stakeholders over the last 10 years or more is this annual process can can be very difficult from a timing standpoint and so you know if there's the ability to propose more than one year at a time uh, there's a lot of support for that and it sounds like epa listened to that feedback and that's what we're expecting to see
0: so with that shift in legislation and the burden or the weight of that being put now back to the EPA as opposed to Congress. Could we see that shift again, or could Congress put together legislation that removes that ability from the EPA?
1: Well, there's always uh noise about the potential for legislative reform of the renewable fuel standard. We think that's unlikely to occur, uh, especially after the the recent midterm elections. You've got to split Congress, and, and we just don't think there's a lot of appetite in either chamber for them to take up a uh, reform of the renewable fuel standard program. Uh, we think what's more likely is is Congress is going to begin looking at sort of the next chapter of uh, fuels policy, and they're going to be looking at concepts like a low carbon fuel standard that would apply nationwide. Or, uh, you know, there's a, a piece of legislation called the Next Generation Fuels Act um, that that would also be very beneficial to the ethanol industry. Those are uh, ideas that we think the next Congress is going to start looking at, uh, but don't really see much appetite for
0: RFS reform. Jeff, let's switch tracks a little bit and talk renewable fuel demand, because, of course, during COVID, we saw less people driving, less people meeting that demand. Where are we at in the demand pipeline now for renewable fuels?
1: Yeah. Uh, so overall fuel demand, it continues to slowly increase. Uh, obviously, COVID 2020 was a, a horrendous year for fuel demand. We started to get back on our feet in 2021, and that's continued in, in 2022. Uh, overall gasoline consumption has not returned to pre-COVID levels. We're still down a little bit, but the amount of, or I guess the share of, of our fuel that is comprised by ethanol continues to increase. And in fact, uh, just yesterday, the Department of Energy published a report saying that we saw the highest uh, inclusion level of ethanol on a percentage basis uh, this past summer than we've ever seen before, and it's because of ethanol's lower price uh, and and just its appeal to consumers. We're, we're starting to see growth in higher level blends like E15 and, and flex fuels like E85. So demand has been strong this year, and we expect to see that continue to grow in the future.
0: I'm glad you mentioned the consumer angle because I always pick E15 or E85 when gas stations have it, but they don't always have the infrastructure to support that, especially I'm from Iowa. And so, you know, I won't name any of the gas stations, but it's always right. very frustrating to me to think you are a Midwestern gas station company, and yet you don't have the infrastructure to support E15, and let alone E85.
1: Yeah, that has been the biggest barrier to expanded sales of E15 and E85 is just the lack of infrastructure. Uh, fortunately, USDA is offering some programs that, that basically provide grants to retailers, uh, and, and pay for them to install infrastructure that can distribute E15 and E85. And we're seeing those programs be very successful. There's another $500 million in infrastructure grants coming from USDA in the future. Uh, but you're right, that's been the biggest barrier. Once retail stations make that investment and put that infrastructure in, consumers are responding. Consumers are choosing those higher ethanol blends. And, and E15 sales in particular are really growing because, again, it's it's typically priced. 25 or 30 cents below regular gasoline, sometimes 40 cents below. Um, and, and so consumers are responding to that lower price and choosing E15. Once they do it the first time, it seems like we've got a customer for life.
0: The only other factor here that we really haven't discussed yet is the maybe recent trend of a lot of people starting to look at or think about electric vehicles. Yep. And I think there's a lot of infrastructure to our electric grid and things like that, that need to obviously be improved before electric vehicles really take hold in the industry. But how do you guys plan to stay relevant if and when we see that trend really take off?
1: Yeah, so we are seeing growth in electric vehicle sales. It's not the this kind of meteoric growth that a lot of people were projecting. And I think there's been some reality setting in around the challenges and difficulties with rapidly expanding uh electrification in our light duty automotive fleet um you know you talk about infrastructure barriers they've they've certainly got some in in the electric vehicle space there's still range anxiety there's other issues that that people have with evs but we are going to see more evs on the road moving forward there's no question about that uh when you look at the reason that people are choosing electric vehicles it's because they want to do something better for the environment they want to reduce their carbon footprint the argument we've been making is you can do that with ethanol. And in fact, uh, ethanol today is reducing greenhouse gas emissions by about 50 percent compared to gasoline. And we see a pathway where ethanol could be a carbon neutral or carbon negative fuel with the adoption of technologies like carbon capture and sequestration. Uh, with more carbon efficient uh, farming practices, we think ethanol can be a zero carbon liquid fuel and compete very effectively with electric vehicles moving forward.
0: Tell me a little bit more about the carbon neutral or carbon negative footprint, because I think there's a lot of different definitions out there about what that means.
1: Right. So when we say zero carbon ethanol, we're talking about if you add up all the emissions related to producing the fuel and distributing it and and even burning it in the vehicle, what what is that total of those emissions? And, And again, if we're um, using things like carbon capture and sequestration, uh, if we are adopting renewable energy at our ethanol biorefineries, that's going to reduce the carbon impacts of, of the ethanol. And uh, to the point where we believe on a net basis, you're looking at a fuel that could be carbon neutral or even, you know, sequestering, removing more carbon from the atmosphere than it is emitting when it's when being produced and used. Um, A key to that is is carbon capture and sequestration. And and I know there are a lot of pipeline projects that have been proposed and underway. Um, In in our view, that's a very critical component to ethanol remaining competitive in the long term with electric vehicles. And and if we're going to keep open this market for five and a half billion bushels of corn, we have to take the steps uh, necessary to compete with some of these other low carbon technologies.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the pipeline as well. My home state of Iowa, we have three now potential pi- pipelines in the works. How involved are you guys in getting those pipelines up and running?
1: Well, we're very supportive of those pipeline projects because, again, it helps our industry remain relevant, helps our industry remain competitive with other uh, low-carbon technologies that we know are coming. Um, if, if ethanol is going to compete effectively with electrification in the decades ahead, We've got to show that we're taking steps to reduce our carbon footprint and, and we can do that. Like I said, we're already a low carbon fuel, but in order to get to, to zero carbon, it's going to take the adoption of, of, of technologies like CCS and renewable energy at the biorefinery. And, and, you know, and we're going to be partnering, we are partnering with our, our, our farmers, uh, on their farming practices too. And we know there's things that can be done to reduce carbon impacts on the farm.
0: Jeff, is there anything else coming down the pipeline? No pun intended here for the RFA. Uh,
1: I think we covered the, the gamut. Uh, we, you know, the, the one thing we didn't really talk about that's related to all this is the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act back in August. There are a lot of provisions and tax incentives in that bill that we think are going to accelerate the adoption of some of these technologies we, we've been talking about and really put ethanol on a trajectory to, to net zero emissions.
0: Fantastic. Well, Jeff Cooper with the RFA, thank you again so much for joining today. Appreciate your time.
2: Thank you. I thought you did a good job, Delaney, in that conversation, trying to get some updates for our listeners to provide value to them here as uh, we continue to get more content coming out of your and Cassidy's visits to that conference.
0: Absolutely. We've got a couple of other good interviews slated still to run, Tanner. So be sure to tune back in with us next week after the holiday weekend. So we hope everybody has a safe and happy Thanksgiving and gets their fill of their favorite Thanksgiving food, Tanner. With that, we let them go.
2: Let's let them go.